Hi, and welcome back to On the Shelf. And not only welcome back, but welcome back to part two of the three-part series I'm doing with Tasha Madison, going through her entire Pen Thief series, leading up to the release of book three on June 6th. This is part two of three, and this is your warning that because this is a sequel episode and book, we might be discussing material from book one that might be a bit spoilery. So make sure you go and listen to part one first, or even better, read the book. All of the <laughs> all of the books by Tasha Madison are linked in the show notes below to this episode and the last episode. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Um, this is part two of three of the interview series I'm doing um, with my lovely special guest, leading up to the release of her newest book on June 6th. Um, and, you know, we're covering the whole series before the book's out now and book three that'll be releasing, the episode will be releasing on release day. So make sure you're all caught up in time for then. I'm going to hand over to her, reintroduce herself and introduce the book we're talking about in this episode. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Tasha Madison. Um, and the book we're going to be talking about today is called The Pen Thief and the Chamber of Power. It's book two in a three book series. Um, and this book, it's about an enchanted fountain pen who has chosen a geeky teen as its next owner. And there's just one problem. He isn't sure if he wants the gig. Yeah, completely fair. Um, I always love the kind of maybe like a reluctant chosen one trope. I think that's a really cool kind of space to enter. And it's, you know, really cool book overall. Um, getting back into some more kind of introductory icebreakers, because we're all about that, getting to know the author as well as the book here on On the Shelf. If you had to spend a year in a fictional world, which would you pick and why? Ooh, this one is easy for me because I would never mind living in the MC CU Marvel Cinematic mm -hmm. Universe for a year because then I would have an opportunity to have superpowers and meet uh, one of a kind creatures and people. So yeah, that's a given for me. Oh yeah, completely fair. Completely agree. Um, so as we did with the last episode, describe this book in three words. The three words I would use to describe this book are mysterious adventures await. Um, and that's because this book is really all about the explorations that Arnie and his cohorts go on to try to learn the truth about this mysterious power that he has. Awesome. And, you know, listeners, if you want to kind of understand those adventures and mysterious powers, you got to read the book. Sorry to say, but, you know, you got to read the book. Um, yeah. yeah. So continuing on, what was so you explain kind of the inspiration for book one and the series as a whole, but what was the inspiration when it came to writing this book? Um, was it any different than when you were developing book one and just kind of the process of how this one came to be? Well, with this book in particular, I really wanted to continue, obviously, the storyline between Arnie, Eric, and Kaylee, which are the three main characters. Um, but I also wanted to expound on the magic system that they stumbled upon in book one. So that kind of was mm -hmm. my main focus, is to kind of slowly unveil new things that would be happening as a result of the knowledge that Arnie acquired in the first book. Yeah, awesome. Um, all right. So continuing with the writing side of things, um, what risks have you taken with your writing that have paid off? 
Well, one of the things that I absolutely love to do is to mash up different genres, for example, historical fiction with contemporary fiction, why with fantasy, contemporary fiction and magical realism. Um, a lot of people very early on in my career told me that I shouldn't do that or that I couldn't do that. Um, but it's just the way that I naturally like to write. So I did it anyway. <laughs> um, and I'm glad that I did because a lot of my readers have told me that they love that about my writing. So I think that was a big risk that I took with my writing at the time that I think really has paid off for me. Yeah. And I know, I mean, just for me personally, it definitely paid off as a reader for me. And just, it's always really cool just seeing all the different combinations and things that can form um, when authors get creative with what they're working with. So that's very cool to read. Um, continuing with the writing things, of course, you kind of mentioned how you came up with the initial plot um, for the series as a whole. But normally when you're writing, what comes first, the plot or the characters? Well, for me, I usually get the book title or the mm -hmm. seed of an idea first. Um, and kind of, I alluded to this a little bit in our first conversation is that uh, most of my book ideas come to me when I'm doing really mundane or random tasks. Um, like for example, while I'm conversing with someone um, mm -hmm. and maybe they'll say something or I'll hear something in a commercial or, and it'll trigger an idea. Um, I'm not sure about you know why it's like that, but it's just how my brain works. Um, and I, I would say almost all of my book ideas are when I'm doing something really mundane, um, something in life like just doing the dishes or you know vacuuming or talking to a friend, and they'll say something, and all of a sudden I'm like, huh, what was that you just said? And I'll start scribbling mm -hmm. down a story idea. No, that's awesome. Uh, I'm always really interested in just seeing how that part of like someone's brain works when they're like creating a whole new universe and I don't know that's just really interesting to hear um I think oh the questions are a tiny bit out of order so sorry about that I almost re-asked you a question I just asked you um when you're writing do you listen to anything music do you have to have it be like dead silent white noise just kind of what is your writing environment like I very very rarely play music while I'm writing. Um, if I do, I will often find myself like singing or dancing instead of writing. Yeah. So for me, <laughs> it's just very distracting for me. Like I'll, I'll be, you know, jumping around and dancing instead of actually writing. So I, I just don't do it that often. Um, on the rare occasions that I do play music, it is almost always classical. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, it's just kind of a no brainer because studies show that it boosts brain power it minimizes stress and anxiety. Um, so on the rare occasions that I do play music, it's going to be classical. Awesome. All right. So continuing on with the book itself, did you always plan for um, for your book to have a sequel? Were you initially just kind of writing um, the first book and thought, well, maybe I can continue the story? Or when you started out writing it, you kind of had the plan that it would be three books? Yeah, I pretty much knew from the very beginning that The Pin Thief would be a series, but I wasn't sure if I would have enough material for three books, for example. Um, mm -hmm. So before I ever wrote a single page, I plotted the first two books in their entirety and I created a basic outline for book three. Um, and then once I did that, I knew that I would have more than enough material to be able to write the series. So yeah, I kind of pretty much knew when I was initially started brainstorming, um, when I came up with the idea for the book in, in the backseat of my mom's car, <laughs> um, I kind of I kind of knew. Um, but I, I also was like, well, I just want to make sure that before I start book one, I have enough for book two and I have a general idea of what I want to do for book three. Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. Um, again, it's always just really interesting in seeing how the plot kind of unfolds to someone. Um, and it's especially 
I don't know if comforting is the right word, but it's kind of comforting to hear like there's a plan because sometimes there'll be a really, really good book and then they'll there comes a sequel, but it's kind of clear like it wasn't initially planned to have a sequel and thing. This is more about movies, but <laughs> um so the yeah, I'm sh- definitely a planner when it comes to my writing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I don't know, like planning, especially like, I don't know, I dabble in writing. I would like to be an author, but we'll see what happens. Um, but I know like the planning is always kind of hard. Like I can see the long distance goal, but the actual like nuances and events come as I'm writing. So that's always really interesting to hear um, what other people's processes are and just kind of the whole overarching um, plot lines that unfold. So that was, that's really cool to hear about. Um, so you mentioned one of them in the last interview but you currently have two other books that are not part of this series out fabric of a generation in pharaoh's shadow i'm wondering if you could share just a bit more about those and how the process um for writing those books was different um from writing the series kind of general like inspiration and just how um the projects differ from each other Sure. Yeah, those are completely um, different types of projects. Um, my Fabric of a Generation is my debut novel. Um, it's a young adult um, fiction novel. Um, and I kind of mashed up the genres of contemporary fiction. It starts out contemporary fiction. And then halfway through the book, it switches into um, light fantasy. Um, and basically, the basic plot line is about uh, a teen girl who basically is going through life and she is just kind of mad at the world really and in the plot you kind of uncover the reasons why she is and Mm -hmm. she has a very um strained relationship with her mother um and all of a sudden she makes a wish her wish comes true and she starts this kind of free fall through time um feral shadow is is a historical fiction um, novel so it's completely different um and that one is a really cool story because um i actually got the idea the right feral shadow when i was writing fabric of a generation when i was writing the original manuscript for fabric of a generation i almost abandoned fabric fabric of a generation to write feral shadow oh, wow. um, but the original plot line for feral shadow originally i, I was going to write it as a romance um and then i was like you know what i'm I, that's not my wheelhouse i'm just going to shelve it until i i figure out some things later on um well i'm glad i shelved it because in the years that it took me to write fabric of generation and publish it um I learned that uh, I'm a descendant of Ramesses III, who is who Pharaoh's Shadow is about. Um, so I thought that was so cool that I ended up being related to one of the main protagonists that's in my story. I mean, you just can't plan this kind of stuff. So that was really neat. Um, so those are just two differently, completely genres of fiction. And Pharaoh's Shadow is basically about his reign and and the steps of all the things that happened of the conspi- the people who conspired basically to murder him. Um, oh, wow. So I would say in some ways, is writing the Pen Thief series was harder than writing either of those two because I had to account for certain things that I wanted to happen later on because it's a series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to constantly be mindful of what I was gonna put in book two and book three, even when I was writing book one. Um, while also remembering to plant certain things or certain ideas or scenes in the first book that would then later connect it to books two and three. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas on the other hand, I would say my first two books required an extensive more amount of historical research and Feral Shadow in particular, um, before I ever started writing that book, I think I spent two and a half to three weeks just doing research and reading tons of books and reading all kinds of things and talking to experts before I even uh, put pen to paper. Um, so I would say for, on a research side, Fabric of Generation and Feral Shadow were really harder to write just from that angle, just because it was more time consuming before I even started writing. Um, but Pen Thief, I would say, is harder in the sense of 
when you have three different things to keep to keep track of, it's kind of hard. You have to start mapping things out, um, which is why I'm glad I outlined so much early on. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. So, because I had heard, I think this might have been before you even reached out to me. I think I had heard of Pharaoh's Shadow because I really am interested in um, historical books and just things like that. So that had kind of come across my radar. So when you had reached out to me and I was looking through just the books you had written, it was like a connection moment where I was like, oh, that's so cool because it's been on my to read list for quite a while um and this definitely kind of gives me an excuse to finally go out and get it as just kind of encompassing the whole thing um but that's I don't know that's definitely really interesting um and this this might be a stupid additional question but for Fabric of a Generation and Pharaoh Shatter those you went into them and you're like these are one and done like once it's in and out in the world like it's done versus um with the Pen Thief series where you're like, this is going to be at least two to three books. Yeah, when I, when I first got the idea for Pin Thief, I knew it definitely could be two books, but I was worried that I didn't have enough source material to make it three, which is why I spent so much time outlining and brainstorming. Um, I, I I love to brainstorm with my family members because they're really big readers like I am. Um, and my dad in particular, like we will just sit down for hours and like brainstorm all the different nuances of everything. And I love it. Um, and so I, I like told him, I said, okay, block out this time so that we can brainstorm. And he did. It was, it was so fun. Um, and so we just sat down and just like brainstormed everything. And then, then when we got stuck and I'm like, oh my God, okay, I think we should do this. And then I was like, wait, but I can't do that because I have this in this chapter. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very time consuming process because you constantly have to be mindful of all of the characters that you're juggling and all of the plot lines and where you want to end up um so it does take a lot of time but yeah for pin thief it did take a little bit more juggling just because there's three books to be mindful of mm-hmm. um whereas feral shadow had a long, long longer i guess i would say preliminary process in terms of research um but that one was just so much fun to write awesome and that's and that's really cool um just how kind of supportive and engaged in your writing process your family is I think that's really amazing to see is just like familial support and help in that way because I haven't heard a lot of people share like the family their family was really there a part of the brainstorming storming process so that's just really cool to see um thank you for sharing that part of your story um yeah so back to the book it's self this is a bit more of a general question but how do you come up with the character names because I know there's like a variety number of ways some people will just like scroll through baby name websites until something sticks some people they just like come to them while they're out and about just kind of what's the process of naming your characters namely your main character Arnie well, for me, yeah, for me, it's a kind of a, com- a combination of all of those things. Yeah, I, if I'm really stuck, I, I'll scroll through, you know, baby names. But I, I usually, usually in general, I like for all of my character names to have meaning. Um, I, I tend to, I don't choose my names of my characters randomly. I have some author friends where they do that. I don't do that. Um, mm-hmm. For example, I wanted the protagonist in the Pin Thief series uh, to have a short pithy name that fit his personality and I wanted something that sounded kind of formal kind of nerdy um, and originally I came up with the, the name of Arnold and I was like okay mate that's a little too formal um, and so then I went with the shortened form of that Arnie because I was like Arnie fits him more because I feel like that mm-hmm. fits the person that I want him to be um, so I, I really think about the kind of personality I want my characters to have and what names fit that personality are they wealthy are they poor are they somewhere in between are they middle class are they well educated are they young are they older and I I consider all of those factors and then I try to think of what name would fit them based on all of those factors. 
No, yeah, that's really cool. Um, and I know like the process is totally different. I could not imagine just like randomly coming up with names because I think the uh, the additional meaning really adds something to the reader. And especially um, with the cases you said with Arnie, I think that's kind of cool because it's maybe not necessarily subconscious, but it's also one of those things where it's like when you first read the name, you kind of already have an idea of what this character is going to be like and just exactly and I think that's so cool that it's like even reading the name you're like okay like kind of nerdy but like yeah but like in, in a good way but I just think that's so cool um and I I really like kind of the method to all of that um so as we did with book one do you have a favorite line from this book yeah from this book I would say my favorite line is Arnie recalled at the fortune cookie wisdom it's from the, t- the third chapter when Arnie mm-hmm. and Eric are being scolded by Quaid, who is the leader of the Fellowship of Guardians. And, and I love it because how often does someone tell us something that we need to hear, but we don't want to hear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted the scene to really convey that Arnie is older now, but he still has a lot to learn about himself. He has a lot to learn about himself, about others, and life in general, as we all do. Um, and so I kind of wanted to show the fact that he was like rolling his eyes in this moment of someone older, <laughs> like passing on their wisdom right as we've all done as teenagers but also to show the fact that okay he's really starting to connect with other people but not necessarily in the way um that he should be but i wanted to show maturity but also show the fact that hey he's still he's still a teen like he's he's 18 now but he's still a teenager yeah no and that's completely fair and again it's just one of those I don't know, I keep saying subconscious, I don't think it is, but just one of those things of like what you can glean about a character even from like a really small line like that. And I think that's really an impressive um, storytelling technique and just something you've implemented really well throughout your writing. Um, So we do have the shop small corner next, however, and I know this is like a tiny bit off script, but I do have another question of just kind of your writing process. Um, And I'm wondering kind of, if you do get writer's block or something like that, primarily with this series, what's kind of your way of getting out of it? Do you take a step back? Do you just write through it until you've like solved it? Just kind of what's your process for those moments when you get stuck? Sure. Um, I don't personally really believe in writer's block. To me, writer's mm-hmm. block is nothing more than burnout or stress. Yeah. Um, and so for me, the ways that I, I personally deal with it is... Um, I started out before I ever wrote, you know, any sort of long fiction, form fiction, I, I wrote poetry um, and I still do. Um, and so a lot of times I'll, I'll go to poetry and I'll write a poem just to get the juices flowing again. And my other strategy is I'll do something completely unrelated to writing. Because mm-hmm. to me, if my body is saying I, I can't write anymore, I, I've learned the hard way not to push it. Um, and so I'll forget about the deadline and I'll just say, okay, you know what, today I'm taking the day off and I'll go spend time with family and I'll go do something just completely just non-writing related just to get my mind off of it. And every single time I come back feeling more refreshed and more, and, and my, my brain is just, it, it's, it can tackle the issue a lot more easily because I've had <laughs> rest. Um, so for me, writer's block is just needing rest and, and, and accepting the fact that it's time for you to step away briefly so that when you come back, you can pursue your writing with more passion. Yeah. um, And just, I don't know, I really appreciate your take on it because I do agree with just the general sentiment of like, you just need to take a step back. um, And it's not necessarily 
something is wrong, but it's just like, if you keep working at something for such a prolonged period of time, like you literally, you are going to get burnt out and there's not really a way around it. So I think just the way you approach it is really good. And I agree that it's like, we kind of need to move away from the writer's block kind of um, like the just general name and just kind of acknowledge what it is that it's like, you're just tired. Like it's not, it's not a bad thing. Um, Right. But but yeah, so just thank you for sharing that. Um, we're back again at the, at the shop small corner. Um, and just, you know, once again, what resource, you know, type thing you would like to shout out where people can find you on social media and where people can purchase your books. Sure. Again, the easiest way for people to shop small is, is to shop locally. Um, but I, I do know as someone who moved from a larger city to a smaller city, sometimes that just isn't always possible. Um, and so um, if you can't shop locally, like you just don't have independent bookstores near you um, or it's too far of a distance, um, I would check out IndieBound.com and it allows you to search for independent bookstores in your area. Um, in terms of social media, my, my handle is the Tasha Madison, um, and they can go to my website at TashaMadison.com um, for signed copies. And my books are available at most online retailers. Awesome. And as always, all of the links will be in the show notes below where you can find and follow Tasha so you can find and follow the podcast so you can stay up to date with all of the things that we do. Um, but And also, most importantly, so you can go and buy the books and support Tasha. And just, you know, thank you so much again for joining me for part two of the three-part series we will be back very soon um, with book three in the series. I'm really looking forward to being able to talk to you about that. Um, but yeah, so thank you. All right. See everyone soon. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed, make sure you stay tuned for part three, the epic conclusion to this three-part interview series I've been doing with Tasha Madison coming out on June 6th, 2023, which just happens to be release date for that book. That's right. Make sure you catch up on everything you need to, and we will see you soon. As always, I'm Nora Quinn, and this is On the Shelf.